You're listening to Scariff Bay Community Radio, and this is Local Media This Week, the show where we have a look at the print media here in County Clare, and the Clare Champion and the Clare Echo are on the menu as usual, but today it's slightly different. But anyway, first of all, we have most of our usual uh, panel here today. Uh, We're missing David, Um, he's unavoidably absent, and of course John S. Kelly. John, you're welcome again today. Thank you very much, and a Happy New Year to you all. And to you too, John. Also, we have Pat O'Brien. You're welcome, Pat. Thanks, Jim. And same. Happy New Year to the panel and all our listeners around East Clare. Thank you very and, much, Pat. And beyond. And, and indeed. And replacing uh, David today off the bench is uh, Luke Fleming, uh, another great uh, programme in prospect, Luke. You're oh, we have to keep the Tomb Raider flag flying. Well, today we're going to have a slightly different uh, format because In the first half of the programme, we're going to talk to the editor and managing director of the Clare Echo, and it's the first time we've had him on this programme, and that is Stuart Holly. So we're delighted to have a chat with Stuart, and then in the second half of the show, we'll uh, have a look at some of the stories which are uh, in the papers in the Clare Echo and the Clare Champion this week. And now we're delighted to be joined on the programme by Stuart Holly, the editor and managing director of the Clare Echo. Stuart, you are very welcome again to Scarif Bay Community Radio. Thanks a million, Jim. Uh, very much appreciate it. Stuart, I, I, we haven't had you on for some time, but just maybe remind us and our listeners uh, about your own background. Uh, yeah, um, well, look, I, I, I suppose I'm the editor and managing director of the Clare Echo newspaper. Um, just this past September, we celebrated five years in business. So um, it's been a quick five, five and a half years nearly now um, that we've been involved in the Clare media landscape. And uh, I suppose a, a very enjoyable um, five years of that. I suppose prior to that, people might have known me as a, a reporter in the Clare People newspaper, which unfortunately has been closed. Um, and prior to that, I was working in the media in Dublin for, for a few years uh, across a few different titles uh, in the national media. Um, so yeah, that's that's pretty much me in a, in a, in a nutshell. So you you got uh, you have a good background in media and in in journalism as well. Tell us about the Clare Echo because um, I know we talk about it here every day, but and or every week, and we give our own take on stories that that appear in the Clare Echo. But um, it's it's a free newspaper uh, at one level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I suppose I, when I worked in the traditional paid for media, um, you know, I, I, I had a fairly keen interest in business. I, I suppose coming from a family uh, background, uh, my father is a businessman. He had a pharmacy in Ennis. Uh, my, my brother has since taken that over, and I always took a keen interest in the business side of things. So I, I could kind of see the way um, things were going in, in, in the paid for uh, print model, and I thought there was an opportunity to do something a little bit different in County Clare. Uh, where you would have the the newspaper funded by advertising, um, but still provide a, a quality pr- a product um, that has you know I suppose a, a very interesting uh, n- news uh, offering, um, and that's developed even more over the years. Um, I, I probably did never really want to get too much into sports coverage, but that's something that we've actually. I suppose put a lot of emphasis in recent years, and, and a lot of that is down to the great work of uh, Paddy McMahon, my head of news and sport. Um, Paddy, Paddy's like a man; uh, 
he can't be tamed. So <laughs> I, I tell him, we don't have a budget for sports. He won't listen to me and he'll start uh, <laughs> going on his own path and he kind of pulls me along with him. But um, that, that's something that we've, I suppose, gone, gone a lot stronger on in the last year. Of course, he's a, um, he's a practitioner himself as well in that uh, he's on the Newmarket and Fergus senior team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and, and and you know sometimes the politics of GA can be a bit close to the bone as well because we have our old man Nilo Connor inside the office, and uh, Paddy who's the blue on the other side. Uh, so you know it's like being between a rock and a hard place at times for me. I'm supposed to be the boss, but I <laughs> doesn't feel that way at times. Yeah. Sure, John. John here. I, I'm, Hi, John. Uh, I'm thinking. Uh, I'm a shareholder. When when we speak of advertising. Mm-hmm. We're speaking of profit or loss, I should imagine. Mm-hmm. And the, num- the number of community papers, you know, hasn't really expanded, has it, uh, throughout the, the land? Um, and what is the reason for that? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you know, quite the opposite. I mean, even if you look at County Clare, when we arrived on the scene, there was... Champion, which is a very well-established newspaper, but yeah. beyond that, there was the Clare Courier, which was based in Shannon, the County Express, which was the monthly newspaper, and the Clare People, which was another weekly paper newspaper. Yeah. Now, the three of those have all disappeared yeah. uh, in the last five years, and it's it's a pretty good reflection of what's happening around Ireland and not just Ireland, across the UK and you know further afield. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I suppose it it, it, it kind of actually. It, I was talking to a guy who uh, today who's um, he owns a record company. He, he actually is based out of uh, Kilfenora of all places. A guy called In the Gallery, and it's a very similar situation to what happened in the music industry. Is that you know Spotify uh, came along, and before that there was Napster, uh, and it's I suppose you have these really really cheap platforms, and people they really value music, but they're getting it for such a cheap price now that in terms of you know doing it as a profession it's become very hard so the newspaper industry is very similar to that whereas in you know the 80s the 90s you know they, everybody was buying a newspaper you know the Clare champion for example yeah. would have been sending 25,000 newspapers every week mm. and they would have been you know uh, very little competition and there was no online competition so all of a sudden when when, when the online side came along it's, it's it's really had a massive impact on the, the whole media landscape and as was com- coming back to the reason why I set up the newspaper um you know it, the the big problem was that people weren't buying newspapers anymore so I said well we need to find a way around this and hence the the advertising model um now I suppose we've developed on that in the last year about Ten months ago, we launched our, our online uh, premium model, uh, which asks readers to to pay three euros a month for the for the first six months, yes. and then it goes up to eight euros a month. So that's that's kind of I suppose expanding on on what we're doing, and it, it's not something I probably had planned for at the beginning. Yeah. Um, that kind of leads me to to uh, a further observation. Do you um, does the paper have a political philosophy? What do you mean by political, like as in a political leaning or... Yes, I mean, does it have a a, a vision? uh, Does it like the idea of being an influencer? Uh, I I don't think that was ever... uh, I mean, you could ask different people within the Clare Echo separately and they might have their own ideas on that, but... um, you know, for, certainly personally, uh, it, it's probably something that just comes with the territory a little bit, um, maybe unbeknownst to ourselves. And 
you know, I suppose you might put something out there that has a bigger influence than you realise when you when you hear the feedback. But I, I don't think it's something that that we kind of aspire to to do. I think the most important thing for us is getting information out there to people. Mm. Um, I mean, that's what people really want, especially on a local level. They want to get their information as quickly as possible and they want to get the most hyper-local information. Yeah. Uh, so really, that's that's what it comes down to. Um, you know, and even in the last year, you know, if, if people are subscribing to something on a national level, whether it be the Irish Independent or the Irish Times, they might do that because they like to be informed from commentators who might write a 2,000-word article. Well, I actually found in Clare, people aren't as much interested in that as they are, you know, in reading a match report the second the match ends or, you know, finding out, you know, who are the new faces on the Clare panel yeah, or, yeah. you know, uh, what, 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 in fairness, what a different council. Yeah. Sorry, go on. In fairness, the um, front page of this week's Echo mm-hmm. shows how um, interesting a, a title to an article can be and how one reacts to it. People afraid to attend UHL, in, in parentheses, right? And mm-hmm. So it's going to open up a conversation that is shared. There's hardly a family, I'd say, from here to La Bichita that isn't being influenced in some way or another by what's happening within our uh, hospitals. Would you agree? For sure. Uh, it, it, it even goes beyond, I suppose, what's happening in hospitals um, to, to an extent. I mean, I, I actually had a look back over our front pages over the last year um, before I spoke to you, and we had front pages about Shannondock, we had front pages about ambulance weights, and we had numerous front pages about um, UHL and it's almost like Groundhog Day you know um, yeah. in January last year we had, we had two front pages about uh, record overcrowding uh, on trolleys uh, at UHL and and here we are again and it's it's more chaos and um, you know, so it's it's a very unfortunate situation that you know that was one of the main stories of 2022 and it looks like it's going to be uh, the same again in 2023 yeah yeah I'm just looking uh, at the, you know, you were talking about your model there, which is uh, a free newspaper and then premium uh, online. Can Do you see that, um, how do you see that developing perhaps over the course mm-hmm. of the next year or or even further ahead? Yeah, well, uh, when, I, when I first uh, fled the idea in the office, uh, I think most people were a bit surprised because when you when you get a free newspaper product and then you you want to charge people online it's, it's it can be a weird juxtaposition for some people um but i think that the main thing for me is that with the free print model the most important thing for that to work is that the advertising works uh when it comes to the online it's about having quick accessible content that's engaging and that is informative so, in a way, it's almost like having two separate business models, um, and, and it all comes down to. Um, and, and before you know, we went on air, we spoke about it. It all comes down to, I suppose, having a profitable uh, media business, which is a really, really hard thing to do, and it's something that you know actually became more difficult in the last year um, for a variety of reasons. Inflation being being a massive factor that's impacted you know all print uh, print media companies. Um, so yeah, look, I suppose it is. It's an unusual, and I, I think we may be the first 
in the country that has a free newspaper and a premium online model. The Limerick Post did a similar thing around the same time, um, just after us, so it, it's nice to get in there as the first one to, to try something new. Um, and, and our expectations have far been uh, exceeded in the first year um, in terms of how many people subscribed. And if I'm being honest, we, we've, we've converted about three times as many people as, as I had hoped mm -hmm. in the first year. So it's, it's been a good start. Stuart, Luke here, how are you? Um, just you. just a, a question for you, sort of in relation to that. Would it be a fair comment to say that the, the demographic that would read the physical paper versus the profile of people that would uh, click online, and as you said, you've developed sports in particular very much in the, la in the last year. Can you see younger people trending online only? And maybe an, an older demographic uh, going, we'll say, for the print. And, you know, that if they're smart, smart enough or have their reasonably smart phone that they would sort of click on a few articles, we'll say, online as well. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a good question. And it's it's something that's very, very hard to gauge with the print model. The, the only way we can really gauge that is when people email us or call us or, you know, respond to, to adverts within the paper. Um, but it's all, uh, I suppose, it's 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 all kind of uh, anecdotal when it comes to the print. But with the online, you can actually look at the analytics in terms of I think there's there's five different age brackets, and you can actually see what percentage of your reader is you know certain age group. So, eighteen to twenty five, which is the first age group, is actually quite low, and it always has been. But then across every demographic after that, it's it's very, very consistent between, let's say, 25 and 40 and 40 and 55, and et cetera, et cetera. So uh, from what I can see, our demographic of readers is really, really even split, except when it comes to the under 25s. So maybe that's more uh, to do with that, you know, college students don't care about the news. <laughs> At least I hope it is anyway. And um, not a reflection on the type of content that we're putting out there. Short, uh, Brian here, short. Um, just on the, um, on the advertising, is it difficult uh, to get advertising now? Because we, we, had, we recently had a, um, a program from the University of Limerick, and um, they had statistics inside where, where the, the amount of advertising on, pay, on, we'll say on print media was way down on, on, uh, of recent years. So I was just wondering how, 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 how difficult it is to, to get advertising at the present time. Is it, is it, a, is it a big, uh, I don't know, is it a big problem to get it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I can only, I suppose, give uh, feedback in terms of our own experience in the Clare Echo. And it was certainly a lot harder for us five years ago than it is now, because I suppose we're a much more established product than what we were when we started out. So I suppose I spoke about it being a difficult year in terms of inflation. We've sold more advertising year on year. We'll say take out the, the 2021 which was, you know, 20 and 21 were very unusual years, but um, we'll say 2022, we, we had a jump from 2019, which was our last year pre-COVID. So we continue to sell more advertising every year. Um, and I hope that that trend will continue next year. I, I think there was a, a slight concern last year in terms of are we heading into another recession, but that seems to have subsided a bit. And I think people are, 
are, they have a little bit more confidence in spending than what than what we thought they initially would. So if that continues, I you know I don't I don't have any concerns about it because it works. And you know I'm always shocked the amount of feedback that businesses get, and we certainly have a lot more businesses that are you know repeat advertisers with us. I mean you can see it if you look at the paper every week. A lot of the same businesses are are advertising with us week after week because it, it seems to work for them. And thankfully it does because that's what's uh, that's what's keeping us in business and that's what. Let's just put the news out every week. Can I come back to you to the question of gender presence in the in the newspaper? Uh, mm-hmm. I would have noticed that uh, from the commencement of uh, two years ago down to now, uh, that uh, some more time, some more space has been uh, <coughs> allocated and allotted to uh, ladies, whether it is mm-hmm. football, or whether it is uh, soccer or rugby. Um, uh, their presence is very, very pronounced. And Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, was that, if you agree with me, and secondly, uh, was it um, a policy? And in Mm -hmm. that regard, uh, the paper presents a great possibility for influencing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think it's something that we definitely have to be conscious of. you know, I mean, I, I, I have a young daughter myself and, um, you know, I've got a number of nieces and I, and I think I'd like them to grow up in a world where they can look at somebody as um, something to aspire to. Yes. Um, you know, but thankfully it seems to be something that happens across most media outlets now. Um, you asked whether it was a policy. It, it never was a policy, um, but it's something that was brought into focus with the 2020 initiative. I don't know if you remember the, the 2020 initiative. Uh, I think the, the tagline was uh, can't be seen. Or what was that? You'll have to cut that. You'll have to cut that. <laughs> well, I think it was uh, to do with, with can, women in sport. Can't can see, won't be, or something like that, wasn't it? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, something along those lines. Um, so so that year, we, uh, Paulie did a series of interviews uh, every two weeks with uh, women in sport, uh, you know, whether whether it was at a management level or, you know, could have been a local tennis player or a camogie player or a rugby player, you know, the likes of Ian Constein and you know, they've they've really, uh, I suppose, shown young girls that there's a that there's great possibilities for people in terms of where they can go with sport. And yes, yes. so we we'd certainly love to to continue to grow that, and I think that there's definitely an appetite for 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 women's sport. I mean, you can see it yourselves there in in East Clare with Scarafa Gunlow with the with the camogie. I mean, the, you know they're they're really good role models, and I think that needs to be highlighted just as much as as the likes of Bellier and Hurling. Absolutely. Okay, I'm just wondering, you know, we talked about UHL there a while ago and the fact that it was in the news 12 months ago, Stuart, and it's it's still there on the front page. What other stories, you know, as to you as editor, um, were outstanding in the in 2022? Mm-hmm. Um, look, I, I think the, the one that stands above everything else is, is the Ukrainian situation. And... I, you know, I know that that's a global story, but it's had a profound impact on County Clare, and I mean, it ha- it's had a big impact on, on 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 every county in Ireland, I think. But but Clare has punched well above its weight in terms of how we've responded to the crisis. Um, like if if you go back to May, or sorry, um, March last year, we carried a story um, when when the war started that Clare would be taking one thousand 
refugees from um, the Ukraine. And when when I heard it was actually a comment made by Councillor Pat McMahon. And when I heard that, I said, there's there's no way that a thousand uh, refugees from Ukraine will end up in Clare. And here we are a year later with 4,000 uh, Ukrainian refugees here. Um, it, it, it's It's been, you know, I suppose, uh, for a number of reasons, the, a, a big story. And maybe sometimes it gets overlooked because people like to see local faces in the news and they probably pay more attention when, you know, if Mary sees her son in the paper, there's more. There's, you know, we're more likely to, to talk to our neighbours about it. But the Ukrainian situation has had a has had a profound impact, and you know, some are positive and some are negative. I mean, if we're to talk about the the positive side, it's it's like just before Christmas there, for an example, uh, kids from Dora National School went to the Educate Together School, where there's a, a quite a number of Ukrainian children, and they gave them Christmas presents. Um, just as a gesture, you know, the, the kids decided that themselves that they wanted to, to do that as their gesture at the end of the year, uh, just to make the Ukrainian children feel more welcome. So that's kind of the positive side and, the, you know, the I suppose strong community side. But there's also been some negative spin-offs and, you know, people might be slow to, to, to directly, uh, I suppose, say it, but because there are so many Ukrainians being housed in local accommodation, it's it's probably hurting our tourism uh industry a little bit and there's a number of businesses that suffered last summer because of it and will probably continue to suffer because there just aren't enough tourist uh, beds in the county at the moment um obviously look there's, there's there's nothing you can do about it unfortunately i mean their, their situation is 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 you know it's it's an awful situation that all those people are in that they've had to leave their country um, but it is one of the, the the other sides of it that there, there are businesses suffering now, um, and inflation, I suppose, is another thing that's that's I suppose come about off the back of the the Russian invasion. Um, so I'm, I'm rambling on a bit here now, but uh, <laughs> I suppose the point I'm I'm trying to get to is that the the impacts have been have been very wide in terms of. So that's that's been probably the the biggest story I think in the year. There's been a number of other ones um, that, that we always like to cover um, and I suppose continue keeping up to date with. That's the, the pyrite uh, situation that's affected a lot of homeowners in County Clare. Um, there's Shannon Heritage, um, what's going on there. There's a standoff between Clare County Council and, and the government in terms of the Clare County Council taking over Shannon Heritage. Uh, and What do you and think, can in, in Trinidad, uh, what do you think should happen with regard to the Shannon heritage? Well, from what we gather, there's going to be a resolution to it very soon. Um, but it will end up in the Clare County Council hands by all accounts. But I suppose they, they've said what they need for to make it happen, that they need a package of 15 million from the government. The government weren't engaging with them for a long time. I don't know why they weren't, because... This needs to happen. I mean, I spoke about the Clare Tourism yeah. product already. I mean, Shannon Heritage is central to that. You know, I mean, in East Clare and North Clare and West Clare, the, it, it's such an important part of, of, of County Clare. So it, there is going to be resolution. It's just, it's one of those things that there's, I suppose, the government dug their heels in and there was a bit of a standoff and, and hopefully that'll be resolved in, in the coming weeks. I suppose you've also covered uh, the Shannon Airport and the, I suppose the, the the rise again of Shannon Airport from 
the position that it, it occupied over the last few years. And, and I mean, that's a very positive story that, that you have covered on many, in many, many issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's something I was actually going to highlight that um, earlier this year, um, Mary Considine uh, said, uh, who's the CEO of Shannon Airport, that she hoped that by the end of 2022, we'd be at 80% of pre-COVID levels in terms of uh, passenger traffic. So it'll be interesting to, to hear how, how those uh, how that transpires. Um, I mean, you know, if you go to Shannon Airport and just do an eye test in terms of the, air, the, the, the car park out there, it looks like it's, it's, it's as strong, if not stronger, than, than, than pre-COVID. So... Um, all the signs are good for Shannon, you know. I mean, at its at its peak back in the in the mid nineties, there was three million people passing through every year. Um, you know, I, there's no reason to say that that we can't uh, get back to those levels in in the future. It might take it might take a few more years, but um, there's no reason not to be positive about it. Does does the degree to which, in fact, our people living in the in the Midwest and outside that uh, d- decide? to actually fly out of Shannon or not at all. Mm-hmm. Would that impact mm-hmm. uh, in a uh, decision taken by Ryanair to add extra, more extra, more flights? Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think, yeah, I think for sure. And I mean, I, I can only speak for my for myself and, 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 you know, anyone I speak to about Shannon Airport, but people in County Clare and, you know, to an extent Limerick as well, they make a point of support in Shannon Airport I mean, not only for the fact that they want to, to see the airport doing well, um, but it's also just, it's so convenient. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's an excellent airport as well, like, you know, to have on your doorstep. We're, we're absolutely blessed with it. So I do think that there's a there's an appetite among local people to support it. And if, if the routes continue to, to pop up as they, as they have been over the last um, half a year or so, uh, I think I think it will be well supported. I think marketing it in in, in America and Europe is is very very important, and I suppose aligning it with the Wild Atlantic Way. I actually wrote a a, a few years back. I wrote a um, a column about that the airport should consider rebranding to Wild Atlantic Way Airport. <laughs> Maybe a bit of a mad idea, but you know I, I suppose to American people when when they Google coming to Ireland and the Wild Atlantic Way. The first thing that comes up should be Shannon Airport, uh, and from from my research, that's not always the case. Uh, it, it can often direct people to Dublin Airport, uh, and I think that that's a big issue. I think they need to align themselves really, really strongly with the Wild Atlantic Way, and I know they have been trying to do that. Um, but that's that's the, I suppose that's the golden goose they need to get get on the back of to to promote it on the other side of the Atlantic uh, and in Europe. I suppose, uh, Stuart, if we come over our, our own side of the fence as well, there have been a few articles, we'll say, uh, I suppose Holy Island is one of the big things, we'll say, out over East Clare side and we'll say the bridge in Killaloo and Ballina, you know, we've been talking about those for years, I suppose. But uh, uh, was it, if you were to get your crystal ball, and I suppose in North Clare we could talk about Blake's Corner or, you know, the Puka, we'll say, in more recent uh, years. How do you think, or is there anything in your crystal ball you can foresee, I would say, outside of the hospital situation, which I think just isn't going to, that's not going to change uh, today or tomorrow. Uh, we say for the, the upcoming year, we'd say, what do you think uh, will be potential stories of interest? Look, I suppose there's always a, there's always a cycle, a political cycle, and that's going to start coming into a little bit more sharp focus. I think 
We had a local election in 2019, so there'll be one next year. Yeah, uh, May, May next year. We'll, we'll nearly yeah. be starting to count down uh, in another few, <laughs> few months. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to, to think where my date's right there. Uh, because the one thing I notice as an editor of a newspaper is there could be a year there where a lot of the councillors and even the TDs, they, they mightn't be that interested in, in being highlighted in the media, whether for, for good or bad, or, you know, they're happy to kind of keep their heads low. But as the cycle starts coming to an end and there's an election coming up around the corner, you will notice that they're, they're very, very, very active in terms of uh, how they interact with us. So I suppose from, from every local aspect, you know, whether it be the the East Clare local electorate or, you know, West Clare, certainly people will be keeping a keener eye on, on what their local politicians are doing. Um, yeah, other than that, I mean, look, obviously the, the development of, 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 you mentioned this, their Holy Island and the bridge in Killaloo and, <laughs> and Blake's Corner, the, the, these have all been rambling on for quite a while. So uh, it, it's, it's kind of a, it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to be in, in the news on a fairly regular basis as well. Can you influence? We're back to the old influencing factor again. The actual corner, the problem in Ennis Diamond. Um, mm-hmm. Could you solve it? I don't think I want to. <laughs> <laughs> it, gives you plenty, it gives you plenty of yardage, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. that, um, well, I, I'll tell you who is more influenced in the newspapers, and it's it's the councillors and the TDs because you know, I suppose their bread and butter in terms of getting information out to people is attending all the, the the local district meetings uh you know there's there's one there in the, the scarif library for the for the east clare councillors and there's you know in, in ennis they have one there and whatever they put on their agenda is generally what dictates is is reporting the news and you know the councillors i suppose are on the ground listening to feedback from their constituents all the time so they tend to to, to feed us uh, and they, they influence things more than anything and it, <laughs> to be honest, again, it, it, it goes back to, to you know, we, we, we don't have an agenda, I suppose, is, is what I'm trying to get at. It, it's generally the what people uh, come to us with, with problems, whether it be, a, you know, an issue with the planning or whatever else. Uh, it's, it's, you know, we'll just highlight things that, that the public are, are bringing to our attention. I suppose, uh, Stuart, it sort of brings the, the, the great line back to all news is local. <laughs> and uh, a little bit like we said with the radio here ourselves, we, we are tied, you know, to East Clare, but we'll say with the Echo as well, you know, obviously you cover the whole county and, you know, we say some stories that will sort of uh, affect affect Clare. But I suppose that's where the, the big interaction is, you know, what might be big in East Clare, maybe people in West Clare, they might be hugely interested in it, but they'd read it, but where somebody in Limerick wouldn't. And that's where the likes of Porrick doing stories and reports and various other bits and pieces, the content that you put out is very much to be admired and you know the likes of there's some of the big bigger european media houses i suppose that have bought up a lot of the we'll say you know the county papers you know i suppose the the champion is lucky in that you know that's an independent organization as well you know mm-hmm. you don't need to look we'll say too far with neighboring counties to see how they have been sort of bought up and it's like the local element of 
a lot of what's in the papers has been removed because it's sort of they're maybe taking five or ten articles that are going into every paper yeah. that that yeah. is owned by them. Yeah. Yeah, it's very much we'll say to be admired what 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 you do. And I, I know we spoke to Porrick about it um, there. He was on, he was on it before Christmas, and you always had a Shannon news section in the paper. And we, we're very much appreciative of the fact now that there's an East Clare uh, <laughs> uh, page as well. So page 19 is always yeah. very much of interest to us. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and again, like that's I suppose it's something we're always we're always trying to develop, and we're you know always trying to, to serve more people. But going back to your point, like it's definitely a point of of pride that we're independent locally owned and you know people of Clare that are working owning running the newspaper uh, and we're informed by by our neighbours and our friends and you know the community organisations around the county I mean like you mentioned it there you know you don't have to look far to, to find newspapers there, there's a there's a group called Iconic Newspapers um, owned by Malcolm Denmark in England and, and they're going around buying up newspapers all over Ireland and they are actually establishing a hub now where they will do a lot of their local reporting from, but it'll all be done from one place centrally. <clears throat> um, so I suppose that's 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 a reflection of, of the way things are going. Um, that's you know it, it's it's almost like a like a Starbucks, but it's a newspaper that's that's kind of you know operating under the the, the big conglomerate umbrella. So um, yeah, it, it is something that we'd be proud of. Mm-hmm. Okay, Stuart, listen, it's been great talking to you. I mean, let us say, first of all, well done on your on what you have done so far with the Clare Echo. Um, we look forward to receiving it here, I'll tell you, in this show every, uh, every Thursday. And quite often they're gone if we leave it too late uh, to go to Centra or to go to one of the other shops. Um, and you're doing great work. And with the help of God, long may it continue. And uh, thank you very much for joining us today on local media this week. And uh, we, you know, we wish you every success and we look forward um, to having you back with us again. Thanks, Jim. And, and I'd just like to return the sentiment, uh, Scarif Bay Radio. I think the people of, of, of the area should be very grateful for what you guys are doing and um, uh, keep up the good work because it's uh, it's not an easy thing to to run a community radio station either. So look, I appreciate the, the, for you guys for having me on and uh, keep up your good work. Okay, Stuart Holly, many thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Okay, we'll take a break there. We've reached half time. Uh, Pat O'Brien, our resident DJ. Pat, what have you for us today? Well, uh, Jim, Joe Doran passed away uh, on the 28th of December and 15 years this year. So uh, we'll, we'll remember Joe and I suppose some more dancing times uh, with a Make Me an Island. Lovely. It doesn't seem like 15 doesn't years ago, Pat, does it? It doesn't know, but the other day they are now helping on the radio 15 years. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. we'll uh, listen uh, again to the great Joe Dolan from Mullingar. You have caught me, you have taught me, and I'm different now. Take me and break me and close all your windows and doors. Shut me up, cut me off, make me an You're very welcome back to local media this week here on Scarif Bay Community Radio. And that was the great, the late, great Joe Dolan and Make Me an Island, Pat's choice for halftime here on local media this week. 
I suppose, and again, our thanks to Stuart Holly for for coming on and um, and doing that interview with us there in the first part of the show. Great to have uh, to have Stuart. Having a look at the papers, and we're we will start that now. I suppose, Pat, looking at the the there's certain agreement on the front page of both papers this week between uh, the Clare Champion and the Clare Echo, and it's all about UHL. Well, I suppose uh, on the Clare Champion, Jim, uh, removal of 24-hour coverage in us was a mistake. Uh, Dan Denner has the story there. And then you have people afraid to attend UHL, and Stuart Holly, who we were talking to there earlier on, has the, has the story in the front of the echo. Um, just on the, on the Clare Champion one day, a senior medical consultant has broken ranks by describing the removal of a 24-hour casualty cover from Innes and Nina hospitals in April 2009 as a very significant mistake. As University Hospital Limerick, UHL struggles to cope with, with surging em- emergency department admissions after its declaration of a major internal hospital incident. There have been renewed calls for radical action after UHL was allegedly taken off call for ambulance cover for a period of, on Monday. Apart from very serious cases, Ambulance spent long waiting times trying to access UHL. The number of patients on trolleys in the Midwest totaled 113, and outpatient clinics were cancelled in UHL. So it is a serious... It's a serious, uh, serious. John, I mean, we were talking about this, not, not on this programme, but yeah. 10 years ago, uh, we were talking about Limerick and the problems there. And how is this that it hasn't been solved? Well... We were promised a centre of excellence. Do you remember that? Indeed, I do. Right, okay. The centre of excellence involved taking, uh, cutting the, the limbs off uh, the outlying hospitals like Ennis and Nina. Isn't that right? Hmm. Okay. The centre of excellence, <clears throat> did, that, uh, did that succeed? It certainly didn't succeed. <laughs> it didn't succeed. It things did. are, things are gone from bad to worse. I mean... Here's Professor uh, what's uh, Lyons, Professor Lyons, Declan Lyons. Declan Lyons. Okay, he is saying this. What are we to do? Hmm. He he knows what he's talking about because he's in the thick of it. Hmm? The only thing I would say in relation to it, um, there's not much point in he saying it. Yeah. Right. Because. Unfortunately, he's not a politician. Hmm. And it's the politicians or the people that are responsible that made the decision, have continued to make it, denied that there was ever any issues in relation to it, when, as a man says, anyone on the ground would tell you there was, that there was going to be. And as well as that, John, you have to say, the population of the country has increased in the uh, time as well. The facilities have gone down. To care for people, so of course you're going to wind up with issues. Yeah, yeah. But just a little anecdote: a, a friend of mine the other day during the week in Ennis fell, and and split her forehead, her head. Not terribly serious, you yeah. know, but there was blood flowing, and people came to her aid, and they were talking about summoning an, summoning an ambulance. Yeah, and the ambulance was going to bring her to UHL, and she dug her heels in and said, I am not going to UHL. So the ambulance was cancelled. A taxi was got, <coughs> excuse me, and she was brought up to Ennis Hospital, to the injury unit there. 
Now, thanks be to God, it happened at about five o'clock in the evening. The injury unit is open until eight. Yes. She was brought into the injury unit. I actually, we were around Dennis, and I went in there uh, just to, to see how things were going. And how were things Absolutely there? fantastic place. She was seen in no time. Yeah. She was brought in, stitched. Thankfully, her injuries weren't terribly serious. They could have been, but they weren't. But, like, it was the most fabulous place. Well, no, if, if that happened at nine o'clock at night... No, that's where we're going to come to. Jim, yourself and Luke and Pat have been appointed uh, to head a ministerial junta, okay, to solve this problem. I'd be looking for Michael O'Leary's phone <laughs> number. <laughs> Michael O'Leary. What yeah. would you want from him? Uh, to get rid of the huge wedge of uh, management yeah. or lack of management that exists. Yeah. Because... I have not come across anyone, and I think we have all, over you know, over a period of years, come across people, either ourselves or close family people, that have received care in a hospital, and would say in U university hospital or the regional, whatever you want to call it. Very few people, if any, would have any complaint about the quality of service you get when you're actually there. It's actually trying to get into it yep. is the problem. Yeah, but what will you be? And that has order? always been the problem. All right, you look at uh, online during the week. Uh, Hikwa came down and did an examination, and going from 120 people on trolleys the day before to Hikwa appearing, suddenly there were zero. Well, no, no, where, where, where are they gone? But sure, this this is my point. I said, no, it, that was obviously a planned visit from Hikwa. Now, I know Hikwa do unplanned visits as yeah. well. The management that are allowed do that, we have a problem in this country that we tolerate that type of nonsense. Would you say that, Jim? Yeah, money won't solve it because money hasn't solved it up to now. It's, it's the structures. It has to be the structures in the HSE and particularly particularly in Limerick. And in, the the in the Midwest. In the Midwest. Yeah. In the Midwest. You look at the waiting lists in hospitals at any time of the year, and U U UHL or whatever the hell it's called now, is <laughs> called, is near the top on nearly every occasion. You look at Watford Hospital. We've alluded to it previously. They don't have the waiting lists that are in UL. That's right. You know? yeah. And we had a story here before where somebody was taken out of the waiting room in UHL by a family member brought up to Port Junkula Hospital. Yeah. This person from East Clare was seen in a couple of hours and was at home. Mm. Yeah. Do you know? In but, a, yeah. But, but again, Jim, the system you alluded to there with, with the lady you spoke about, uh, an ambulance was going to bring her to UL. That's right. But why couldn't that ambulance bring her to the unit in Ennis? Yes. The structure is wrong. Oh, and yes. that's my point. Yes. Yes. That's my point. Yeah, but I want to hear, I want to hear what are you going to do? You've been made uh, uh, top dogs now to solve this problem. I mean, you, you need, I think you need to look at the structures in Limerick and you need someone with political authority to look at the structures in Limerick, dismantle them, in whatever is necessary. Should the Taoiseach take over? Oh, absolutely. He shouldn't. Well, it's no, a, no, it's he shouldn't. Because what's he, what's he going to do? It's a, it, it's a political decision, though. What's the Minister for Health going to do? Because what's he done over the last 13 years? But, 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 Sweet but, FA. 
So here we have the we have the Taoiseach and we have the Tanishta and and the Minister for Health. The three of you are there, and you can't agree among yourselves. What do we do? But if if the I've told you at, 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 do at political level, it has to be at political level. So right. the HSE was set up by politicians, so it has to be at political level that the first they have are to made. make the hard. They won't make a decision to get rid of middle and upper management. They won't do it. Yeah. By the way, who's they when you mention them? The politicians. But, but um, because it's 13, 14 years later, what has changed? Nothing. Where, it's somewhere in the in the Care Champion there, Pat, where somebody said if this was a private company, they would go out of business. Yeah, that's Daniel Maloney. He, he from from your part of the world. He's from Kiltishan, yeah. He fell and... and he, he had a fall uh, at his brother's house, yeah. and he, he was brought into Limerick. And, and uh, how was his experience? Well, it, it wasn't good anyway. He said, uh, if anyone else was running this, it would be closed down in 24 hours. Mm. Hmm. Page, if, page if, four in the champion. Listen, if we yeah. ran Scarif Bay Community Radio, this way that Limerick Hospital is being run, yeah. we would not get a renewal of our license from the BAI. True. Do you know, we wouldn't. Absolutely, We'd be yeah. told, you're not able to do this you know, I know it's not as easy when it's a hospital. Yeah. But, I mean, it's the same principle. Now, they, 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 the hospital management may come back and say to you, Pat, uh, look at, um, or we have the money, we have the money to, to buy personnel, but we can't get the personnel to come back. Yeah. Yeah, but part of the reason for that, John, is that you might be able to get them, but when you put staff into a situation where they are under so much pressure that they can't cope yeah. and that they are being driven to exhaustion because the upper levels can't sort of organise yeah. a, a knees you, up in you, a brewery. Do you agree with that, Pat? Yeah, there was a woman, there was a woman on, on, on Joe Duffy's show yesterday, and I think, Jim, you helped us with well. Um, well, she, she worked in the, in the medical services, but she was an old woman now. She was retired. But she fell outside her own house. Yeah. And she broke her wrist, and she, bro she sprained her own badly. Yeah. And her face. And she was in a trolley inside in, in, in UL. I don't know for how long. She was there a long time anyway. And there was no one coming near her. And she was shouting and shouting, uh, even looking for a glass of water because she, her, her, her mouth was dry. So, uh, you know, I suppose if you go back to something like, like what Jim was saying there, that woman that fell in us, if, 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 those, if those type of things were, were sorted out, it might help it a bit. Because uh, it looks like that everybody, that if something happens to them, they're, they're, they're funneled into, into Limerick. So let's extend the, the opening. Because, yeah, extend the opening in Ines, yeah. Uh, 24 hour. Yeah, and, and St. John's and Nina. And that yeah. would take a bit of some but pressure off it. Yeah. What do you think of that? Mm. Luke, would you be happy with that? Well, uh, again, I don't know the, the great argument they gave when they reduced the, uh, closed them initially was that they said that you, you wouldn't have the numbers going through to keep the, I suppose, the people uh, uh, performing right. at adequate you know, whatever the, the levels that they would need of training and all the rest of that to yeah. do it. But certainly an argument could certainly be made to extend it. Hmm. Right. You know, so maybe, maybe not 24 hours, but maybe It's not working now. No. So, Michael McNamara, are you listening to us, Michael? Because Michael has voiced his views quite stringently, hasn't he? Hmm. But uh, it's, and it is Michael McNamara, but also we'll say Cahill Crow, yeah. Senator Timmy Dooley, uh, Joe Carey are all their part of the government. They are. Yep. And 
they've been in government for the last 11 years. Yes. So we can solve one issue immediately, except you've got to get the agreement well, uh, of the, the medical backup people. Mm. If you if, if you do what you're suggesting, hmm. but that's that be, should be easier to achieve, do you know? That's true. We'll say reopen. Yes. Ennis, Nina, yes. St. John's. I would disagree with you because who would be responsible for getting it reopened? Management. And they have shown by their actions over the last thirteen or fourteen years that they're not capable of managing. But it's, it's a system that must be wrong because not the same personnel have been there for 14 years, well, yet the same problem is there, isn't that it? Who, if there is a problem with the system, John, who are the people responsible for changing it? Well, I would imagine that we have, we have, to, we have to think in terms of the department that is in question, the Department of Health and, and the Department of Health. But if, if Waterford is running okay, Waterford. In, if Waterford is running okay in general... That was a that was no, no, a but no, but, but my my point being, the politicians aren't going to go down and sort of say, "Let's, oh no, you can't do it that way." We want we want you to have a uh, hundred people on trolleys. Yeah. So, mm. just um, in, uh, partly because I saw it here, and this is just a small bit from Professor Lines again. I'll just read it out. In human conditions uh, described at UHL, uh, partly because saying, but uh, uh, Professor Lyons said, uh, so you think if the mistake was made in 2009 when health services in the Middle West were reconfigurated? Uh, and then he says, Professor Lyons gave, an, for an, uh, gave, gave the example of a clearman who recently attended UHL. I saw a patient, elderly. I saw a patient, elderly gentleman, living alone from West Clare, the type of patient that prior to 2009 would, have come, would not have come near UHL, which was found collapsed, taken by an ambulance, passed in a general hospital mm. into UHL, where he spent three days on a trolley, only to go back into an ambulance and back into Innes. That's hospital, shocking. Which is the hospital he, he should have been brought to in the first place. Pat, you've put your finger there yeah, on a crucial... Yeah. Crucial. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Listen, we're we're getting cross here, <laughs> talking about it, and you and I don't. You know, we yeah, would, we have to. Actually. We have to uh, get yeah. cross. And it is it is crazy yeah. system that we're in the twenty first century that we. Oh, have we have a general election coming up in less than two years. Mm. What say a hospital candidate for Limerick East? They did it in Roscommon, City. and it worked, didn't they? Was it Fitzmaurice? And I think it was in yeah. Watford as well. Yeah. Anyway, we'll go on. A couple of other things, and we're we're a bit short of time now today as well. Yeah. I see Cahill Crow uh, is having an, a spat with uh, Sinn Féin in relation to the name of the common in Ennis, uh, yeah. called after Padder Clancy. Uh, I'm just... Uh, no, the ins and outs of it i I maybe not going to get into, but what... Um, if if you want to call your common after a certain person, what rights you know do his family have? Uh, in, Interesting in, in question, that Jim. I mean, uh, there isn't any precedent for this, is there? Not that, that I'm aware, aware of, of anyway. No. Do you know? Yeah. But I mean, if if Padre Clancy's family, which apparently they are totally against, yes, uh, Sinn Fein yes. calling their common this, yeah. uh, presumably it's legal and they can do it. But I mean, should they do it if the family are very much against it? Well, if I, oh, certainly not in my mind. Uh, no, I certainly wouldn't uh, agree with going against the family mm. in that regard. 
Not yeah. at all. It's just, it's, in, it's an interesting, you know, it it's an interesting it's, question. Yeah. I don't know whether you have any ideas in that, Pat, or any thoughts on it. I, I don't know, but if the family weren't, weren't happy with it, uh, maybe they shouldn't go ahead and, and maybe they should have they should have gone to him and said, look, we'd, we'd like to honor the penalty. But if they haven't done that, then, I don't know, you would imagine they should have done it. Yeah, mm. I don't know. yeah. They, <laughs> another okay. another piece that um, we were somebody was talking about before we came on air about loneliness, and is loneliness something which uh, can be shortens the life shortens the lifespan yeah. of a person? Did that surprise you? It's it's a piece of research that has been done in in UL. Yeah. Yes. Or, okay. It's on page eight of the pa- champion. Yeah, and. Um, it's an interesting finding, but it's not one that would have surprised me. Hmm. Uh, that uh, engaging with community and not isolating oneself is a healthy pursuit. Hmm. So there's a connection between how you live your life and the length of it. Oh, absolutely. Hmm. And that's, hmm. that's what the evidence and the figures would indicate in that study. Yes, because very interesting. It, because loneliness was something very much was highlighted during the pandemic, yes. where many people couldn't engage in the normal activity that they would be used, like going to the pub, for example, yes. Or, yes. or going to mass. Or and that was serious. We, some people were inclined to have a bit of a skit at the pub question, didn't realise that, mm. you know, your man comes down from the countryside for a pint or two. And the valleys is your cards, John. <laughs> Mickey, Mickey Joe <laughs> and in fairness like, in fairness uh, we denied him okay, that facility more or less during the Covid yeah. period yes yeah. yeah. so it's it's an interesting it is photo. Yeah. so does it underline however how n- necessary it is for community to not to be inward looking but outward looking and uh, mm. and the social aspect yes, of, of everything of, of what it provides yeah Okay, Luke, somebody from your neck of the woods, Liam Minogue, uh, has been um, having great success uh, across the across the pond. She has, and uh, uh, we, Stuart was talking uh, in the first half of the show about the contributions we'll say that uh, we have now. We'll say from female sports stars, and uh, Leah, uh, very much a, a lady to be admired in the sport of handball, and uh, she. Uh, had uh, a trip out to uh, San Francisco and uh, she was playing in the under 19s uh, final and say so she's 18 year, years of age and uh, said she did not disappoint making sure the 8,000 kilometer journey and her Christmas away from home was not in vain as she claimed both the 19 and under under 19s uh, singles and double titles with uh, her Wexford teammate jo- Jody Keeler. So her first inaugural international tournament with Ireland and uh, she came back with medals and I think the team that went out, they came back with a big load of, load of medals in, in general. And uh, I, I said she has a younger sister coming up who I'm told is nearly as good as her. Okay. I, I have potential to be even better. Yeah, right. She won the Tim Healy. It's a big, big tournament in this carol underage. And I have all underage players have done it and a few more over the years. Yep. And I'd say yeah. Colin Crean won down there and I think Dermot Nash won down there as well. Yeah, and Dermot yeah. uh, won another title. Did he, didn't yeah, he beat it's Colin there? It's I one, think of, those, it's one of those uh, ranking tournaments up on the north. Yeah. Um, and he, he, two Clermont in the final. You heard um, Dermot uh, winning, beating um, Colin Crean in the final and, and, and a tiebreaker. Yeah. Mm. 
Okay, well, when, when Leo and Pat come back from their Christmas break, I'm sure they'd be delighted to talk to her. Jim, th- there's a, a, a very important social event taking place on December, uh, what date is it now? It's the uh, Moilosa climb. Uh, that's the, the, the other lady uh, of uh, significance from Tungreni, uh, <laughs> John uh, Mary Cassidy, who is the secretary, uh, or I would say, one of the driving forces behind it. It's an article that Fiona has on page five of the Champion. It's and it's a, a fundraising climb of Moilosa on Saturday, January 14th. And it's, um, it's to mark the contribution of the late William MacLeisett. Yes to all that has taken place mm. at, we'll say, Raheen Centre. Yes, yes. And, and of course, it's perp- the money will be spent on uh, buying a replacement bus yes. for yeah. Raheen Hospital. Yes, uh, which basically goes all over East Clare, yeah, collecting yeah. patients and bringing them, we'll say, to the, to the daycare. Uh, centre there as well. So there's a, uh, John Kelly has a nice picture there on yeah. page five of Mary. Uh, the mayor uh, gets gets himself involved there, and uh, Sean Jones, who's a support group member, yeah. will say of that as well. So basically, climbing my uh on January the 14th, 10:30 a.m. Uh, there's an entry charge of 15 euros, or you can get a wristband. We'll say if you can't attend on the day for the same free, and we wish them the very best of luck. They're looking to raise seventy thousand euros, and the start below. At the two-mile gate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 10.30, yeah. 10.30. Okay. Uh, I suppose looking at at the Clare Champion as well, the um, Russia is getting very bad press, is giving itself very bad press with what it's doing in Ukraine. But looking back um, on the Clare Champion, page 19, uh, opening some of the files from 30 years ago, uh, Aeroflot, who, which then was the airline of the old Soviet Union. Um, we're not very friendly with Russia now, our relations are not good, but back then we were, we were much closer uh, to the Soviet Union and them to, they to us. And they, Aeroflot um, planes, Aleutian planes from Aeroflot were very common in the skies over East Clare on their approach to Shannon. So there's many a scar of girl. And a young man took the Aeroflot plane from Shannon, passing from Cuba to Shannon, to Moscow. Yes. And, uh, and worked in the, in the duty-free. You knew that, Jim. I did, of course, and, yeah. and uh, helped set up the duty-free Absolutely. In, in Moscow. Absolutely. The, I suppose the arrangement they had was, um, and Luke, there's an amusing story there, the, the, um, the fuel which is, was being stored at Shannon, was, was bought or was, yeah, was, was taken was in by, by Shannon from Russia. Yeah, there's a few clever stories there, John. John, I think you, you, you alluded to it earlier. Uh, Joe Mertig has uh, there at the bottom of page 19, who said, 40 years ago when President Ronald Reagan was leading calls for the Soviet Union state airline to be kicked out of Ireland, it had a hugely important presence at, at Clare's International Airport. And there was w- one occasion... Uh, there, there was a, a Korean air tragedy, I think we remember, when a Russian um, uh, missile uh, knocked down uh, uh, an airplane. A Japanese uh, airplane, yeah. I say, yeah, over yeah. the near Korea. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I was, which was, a, a, you know, it was an act of 
total aggression, uh, you know, it's an act of war against the company or against the country they weren't uh, in the, in dispute with it as such. But uh, uh, shortly after that happened, uh, a US military transport was coming through to ref- refuel and they were parked next to one of the Aeroflot jets, which was sort of parked up. Uh, the US personnel were shouting abuse over to Russians about their terrible regime and their awful country. But there was a little bit of an irony <laughs> in that the fuel that was being put into the Americans' plate planes was Soviet aviation fuel supplied by Aeroflot. Absolutely. <laughs> the, the, the guys the guys in the ARI, Orient International, were on the ball. And that's very much the era of Liam Skelly. Hmm. Okay. And, and Liam uh, is very cross about the subsequent developments. Oh, yes. Well, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't cross when, when they pulled it off, though. No. Initially. Def- definitely. And, not. I mean, they were buying... The um, the air fuel the the um, well they were they were getting the air fuel they were buying fr- it from Russia well getting it for free more or less yes yes <laughs> and and the the quid pro quo was that Russia could use the use, airport yes and without charge and get fuel yeah yeah but of course they there was fuel left over loads of it and that was sold in fact <laughs> you're quite right when you say that the American the American military aircraft that was beside the Airflot one was yes, filled with filled with Russian, Russian fuel. fuel and at top dollar. Yes. Okay. Isn't it strange that back in the 1980s, the clamor was like, get the Russians out of Shannon. Shannon shouldn't take in the, you know, have the Russian planes. Yeah. Yeah. And for the last number of years, they, it's the identical clamor, but don't let the Americans use Shannon. <laughs> yes. So um, it's, it's a strange irony, the whole lot. But yeah. it's an interesting story, and it's on page 19 of the Clare Champion. Yeah. Uh, and Jim, was that in relation to um, the 30-year rule, state... state, state um Yes, but some state papers. Some papers can be released after thirty yeah, years. And, and this is where I suppose looking back at this time, this story was. And, was and of that's interest, where it was, yeah. where Gareth Fitzgerald was under pressure from Ronald Reagan to to mm. kick the Russians out. Yeah. Yes. Now, uh, Pat, there are some nice photos in the Clare Champion this week. There's a, yeah, there's a few lovely photos there uh, from John Kelly and uh, uh, two of them uh, from uh, uh, one from Dusty's Pier. Um, uh, there's a robin, a robin there on Ducey's Pier. There's a lovely, a lovely photograph, uh, a lovely winter photograph on page eight, and um, a robin appears in search of rich pickings on Ducey's Pier at Scarif in East Clare. And then there's another one of us uh, on, on page um, page six, beautiful photograph as well of a swan uh, out, uh, outside Ducey's Pier. As well, John Kelly was one around, and he was taken nice, nice, nice. Yeah. Lovely photograph. That wasn't me, no, Pat. No, John Kelly of the Clare Champion, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they have, they have, they have lovely photographs of, of, uh, of those uh, boards that out for us in the, in, in the time of the, the frost. Okay, looking, I suppose, at the, the East Clare pages. John, you didn't go for any dip during Christmas. I didn't, but I was, I lent my physical support. Mm. Uh, Apart from any fiscal support, <laughs> okay, it was an extraordinary St. Stephen's Day down at Mount Shannon. Yes, with the um, they estimated that 150 went in in the icy waters. Yes, and fair play to them. And about another 200 were looking on to encourage them. And when they came out of the water, they didn't fly away. And, you know, the, <laughs> they were parading up and down and bitterly cold east wind. Yeah. Uh, the target. For it, it's for um, 
uh, what's, what do you call the... Jigsaw. The jigsaw. The jigsaw. The jigsaw. The jigsaw. Yes. And the target that the girls had set, Rachel and Emer, uh, Rachel Minogue and Emer Kavanagh. Emer Kavanagh. And then they had the support of oh, so many, many others. And the target was 5,000 to give to the... To Jigsaw. To Jigsaw, which is a special, very, very special... Yes, charity. Charity. And today, there was 26,000 collected. Yes. Extraordinary, Jim. Absolutely okay. amazing. Yeah. Amazing. There's a, there's a photograph on page 13 of the champion of a similar event uh, in a two-mile gate, yes, Pat. Yeah, yeah festive deep exceeds expectations. Uh, Dan Danner has a story there. A, com- a, cum- a community group are blown away by a huge windfall from Christmas charity swim that generated at least 17,000. Uh, the Boho Community Development Group had, had hoped to collect about 10,000 from the fundraising Christmas Day swim at Two Mile Gate in Ogunla. However, with the number of sponsorship cars still outstanding, Group Chairperson Marie Welford confirmed this week that they already they already have in the region of 17,000 and may end up with 20 from the swim. We are blown away by the money. We hope to raise 10,000, she said. This was great, both excitement as more than 300 people took the plunge into the cold water at Two Mile Gate on Christmas Day. So that's a, it's a marvellous story. Isn't it? And, and There's a fabulous picture uh, of it on page 13, and I don't know if you notice there, uh, obviously the photograph is taken from the water. Yeah, yes. Finn McKeever. Yeah. I, I Finn McKeever, and yeah. that's Finn, we'll say, the Olympic, that, swimmer. The, the, the Olympic swimmer. Oh, yeah. yes. Is that who he is? Absolutely. Whom we've know. had on, the, on Saturday Chronicle. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, it says in the article that we'll say, uh, Finn was there, Rosie Foley and her father Brendan. Uh, Finn was there, and swimming enthusiasts, we'll say, from uh, the area. But it, it's a fabulous photograph. Isn't it? I, I, and it said the numbers very much to be admired yeah, yes. again you know yes. so and isn't it great what people will do it is I mean it's 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 it restores one's faith in human nature absolutely yeah absolutely. I would say Christmas Day and Stevens is say you know two yeah. two very very uh, yeah great gr- gr- two great causes benefit uh, as a result of is Finn and Luke, is Finn still uh, swimming uh, competitively I would be at the yeah to the best of my knowledge he is yeah and mm-hmm. and, and an excess of 50,000 between board swims if we, yes if we call, if we yeah. yeah Mount Shannon and uh, and then there was one, another one for Raheem there which brought in a that was on Christmas Day well, and then you had this yep. one down but also you, you were hitting around it's amazing Pat yep. yeah another story there on page 13 uh, Pat uh, there was a documentary during the week on, on the Doc on One on RT and um, they were talking about Dancing Nancy which is um, it's a very interesting story about a lady uh, who, who well seemed to try to blow up she was a dance hall proprietor and tried to blow up a, a competitor with a bomb. Yeah, Fiona McGarry has the story there. Radio Dark uncovers clear rings to dancing Nancy Bomb. So there's a, there's, a, there's a local... Because I remember hearing this documentary last year and there was nothing to connect it with East Clare, but it's been revised and uh, now there is a, an East Clare connection. Yeah, there's a photograph here of, G- of Scarra farmer James Tracy with the painting given to him by Nancy Murphy. Uh, a fascinating lady documentary tracing the story of a, way- a male woman who orchestrated the bombing of a community dance hall has an East Clare twist. It is a melt. RT Doc on One produc- production, Dancing Dancy, by John Carlos and Ronan Kelly, details the bombing 
in the 1970s of Kermar's Community Centre, while a parliamentary parliamentary mortar was at first suspected. Uh, Kong businesswoman Nancy Murphy, who ran a rival dance hall, was found to be responsible. <laughs> Since the documentary aired last August, RT Ronan Kelly has updated the piece with an interview broadcast earlier this week featuring Scarif, Scarif James Tracy. So uh, that's, uh, it's, a, it's a nice story. Um, yeah, well, James and this lady had a, a liaison. Yeah, they had. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was, it's, it's, a very, it's a very interesting story. And uh, James is pictured there showing a painting given to him by Nancy Murphy there on page 13 yeah. of the Clare Champion. Fiona has that article. So it is on page 13 of the East Clare page if anyone wants to have a, maybe a, a, do a bit of a, a story on romance. Okay. <laughs> On an academic side, uh, Jim. Yes, John. On Tuesday, the 17th of January, from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. in the College of Further Education and Training in Limerick, that's in Mulgrave Street campus, there is an exhibition that would be of interest to anybody uh, of mature or not mature stages uh, who wants to... uh, go back into the system, the education system again. It is very, very well worth taking the time if you're in that category. Yes. And that's organised by the Limerick and Clare Education Uh, and Training Board. Yeah. And I'd say if he or she happens to be living around here, they might find it more convenient to go into Margaret in... In Drewsborough. In Drewsborough. Okay, in the adult ed yes. centre. But I suppose you'd get an overall view of the yeah. courses that are available, and some of those that they're advertising would be available. In, yes, in, in, yeah. At, yeah. The, at the or can be made available yeah. if there is yeah. if there's re- interest. Yeah, I think it's one of the the really prize facilities that we have here in East Clare, mm. that uh, campus in Drewsborough, because um, it allows, as you say, it allows people, whether they have a leaving cert or not, yes. to to go yes. into third level education. Yes. And it's also, it's also in Tumbra Energy. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I believe. <laughs> what more needs to be said? Listen, we... What can you say? We we better wind it up yeah. there. But you you you've page nineteen. We'll say in the in the echo um, uh, as well, uh, Jim. For we'll say uh, the East Clare notes and uh, there's a, a few issues I think that might have been raised. We'll say before Christmas uh, as well at, at the, the the elections. There's uh, or not the elections at, at the council meetings. There are speed signs and also in the bottom of the champion Fiona's writing about uh, the public to have their say. Uh, East Clare councillor or just public to have their say on deer concerns so Pat Hayes is on about the deer uh, in East Clare as well yes and and Pat Burke is on about speed yeah exactly yeah so you know there, there's a few other uh, articles there that yeah, are Pat Hayes is also talking about our um, Pat Burke is talking about Mount Shannon inappropriate for wheelchairs which yeah. is you know which is a major issue if you're a wheelchair yeah. user yeah. okay listen we leave it at that for today we've gone well over time but uh, hopefully you enjoyed our show and uh, enjoyed the interview with uh, um, Stuart. Stuart Holly earlier on in the show. Uh, many thanks, uh, Luke, for stepping up again this week in David's absence. John S., many thanks to you. Welcome, Jim. And Pat O'Brien. Pat, thank you for your participation today. Thanks, Jim. And Pat, since you are our DJ, what are you going to have to play us out? With a, with a ventral rule and uh, your hand Strauss Orchestra with the, be- the beautiful Blue Danube. Oh, from, from Joe Dolan to the Blue Danube. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay. He, was, he was on the other night on, 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 on Sky Arts. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, uh, um, a concert, uh, a New Year's Eve concert from Vienna. It was fabulous. Yes. Yeah, yeah but Andrew Ruse is, is, a, is yeah. a marvelous performer. For 70 years I've been listening to that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we have the Blue Danube. Uh, thank you very much for listening to us. We'll see you again, please God, next Sunday afternoon. Goodbye and God bless.